Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and this week's guest is Hannah Anderson. And I have to tell you, we had such a great conversation. Hannah is an author and speaker focusing on faith, culture, and spiritual formation. She's deeply engaged in local church ministry in a rural church in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, where her husband serves as pastor. Her latest book is entitled All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment, and that is available from Moody Publishers. Now, on this week's episode, Hannah and I discuss how culture and the consumer audience can shape our ministries, and we spend some time specifically talking about how this is impacting women's ministries. This leads us to a powerful conversation about the heart of discernment and why a proper understanding of discernment is so important and how this applies to our ministries. Hannah shares so much wisdom, and I'm sure that you're going to want to share this episode with your entire team. So please join me in my conversation with Hannah Anderson. Hannah, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm so excited to have you with us here and uh, excited for our audience to uh, get to know you a little bit better. Well, I am so thrilled to be with you today, Jason. Excellent. Now, now one of the things that I'd like for us to kind of dive into here on the front end of our, of our conversation um, revolves around women's ministry. You've had the opportunity to um, kind of observe women's ministry, to be engaged in women's ministry. You've written a lot about women's ministry. And, and one of the things that you have observed is that some of the popular women's ministers seem to be driven a bit more and influenced a bit more by a consumer audience as opposed to um, perhaps like a congregation or a local church. And I'd love if you could kind of walk us through a little bit about what you have seen, uh, what you've observed, and kind of explain that a bit more to help us get a grasp as to where is women's ministry today, specifically, you know, here in the U.S. we see this a lot, but really where is it, what's happening, and what are some of the maybe repercussions of what we're seeing or or ways that we can step into this more fully? Well, I am so glad that you bring this up because this is one of my favorite conversations to think about and talk about, but I have to say at the front that there's a little bit of irony here because if someone had told me 10, 15 years ago that this would be one of the things I was talking about, I wouldn't have believed them. I never really intended or ever saw myself in this space of doing women's ministry or writing books. Or I, when I met my husband, he was headed toward ministry. So I knew ministry in an institutional sense would be part of my life, um, being married to him. But I didn't really have clarity that it would necessarily be a call in my life, more specifically to women or um, to women's ministry. And so that comes as a surprise to me to see God working in my life to kind of move me to publishing and then speaking eventually. But I think the thing that few of us anticipated 10, 15 years ago was um, the effect of the digital age on how we do ministry and how that um, changes some of the dynamics that happen, um, especially for groups that aren't necessarily at the center of institutional ministry. Now, when I say that, I'm thinking about 
the fact that in a lot of conservative spaces, and especially in the United States, that the majority of people leading churches are men. So the, the leaders, um, the pastors, the executive ministers, the majority of that population um, are men. And so there is kind of a vocational track that runs through um, college, seminary, and maybe um, along the routes, maybe an assistant pastorship, and eventually, you know, you would come into leadership. That's been really shaped for a long time for men. And women who are called to ministry um, either have found their calling fulfilled maybe through marriage to a pastor. Um, Maybe they would find that in the past as a means to access ministry. They might find it through children's work. They might find it through mission work. Um, And only relatively recently have we begun to see women directing their ministry to other women specifically. And a lot of this started with traditional publishing so that women who maybe couldn't find a vocational route within the church could get picked up by publishers and could write. Um, They could write books or Bible studies or do video Bible studies. And that was a way that they could facilitate and fulfill the calling that God had placed on their life. And we saw that maybe with the rise of people like um, even Kay Arthur or Beth Moore, that first generation of women who were actively ministering through the written word and through teaching. And that was pretty much what was happening in publishing for a long time. And then the digital age happened. And then we had this opportunity where um, women could begin to write and speak more broadly and go directly to their audiences and directly to um, the people that they were trying to reach. And what's so ironic about that as I listen to myself talk about it is that I could not have become a writer or a speaker if it hadn't been for the digital age. Um, I started trying to pursue um, God's call in my life specifically to Bible teaching and writing um, with a blog. And I just believed that the Holy Spirit had given me um, a message and some gifts and I needed to cultivate them. And so I committed to the Lord that I would just start writing. And this was about the time when social media was just beginning to pick up where you could get on Facebook and tell your friends and family, hey, I wrote this thing. Why don't you read it? If you like it, share it. And that created the infrastructure that a lot of women who were called to ministry may not have had in um, previous generations. And so it facilitated this whole new possibility. But it's also come with some difficulties. And what it's one of the major difficulties and some of the things that I've written about and thought about a lot is that essentially if ministry is happening for women primarily through publishing or through social media or through an online presence, That means that a lot of times it's not necessarily connected to a local church. It's not built into the infrastructure of a local church ministry, Mm -hmm. which means that there's also not quite the same partnership. And some people would see that um, negatively, like there's not accountability or there's not guidance. But it also means that a lot of these women are out on their own and they're kind of left to make decisions about their ministry based on the whims of the marketplace and which way, um, you know, success takes them, what will be rewarded or what can um, build their community. And I don't think it's a matter of 
wrong motives or anything like that. I just think it's that they're they're in an infrastructure that really is driven by marketplace factors, by competition and capital, and they don't have necessarily the security of operating out of um, the infrastructure of a local church. Yeah, that's fascinating as you kind of lay that out because we can definitely, as you're talking through it, I'm just thinking through and just, you know, seeing that, that reality. Uh, what what um, recommendations might you have or, or how could a woman who has, feels a call into ministry and has kind of built her ministry on a digital platform, and, and of course that could spill over into um, published books or even speaking engagements, those type of things, but how, you know, what recommendations do you have around the idea of keeping that, that grounded so that it would not kind of be shaped by just, you know, what, what the consumer, what the audience might be feeling or, or wanting. Right. For me, one of the things that has become so important is tethering myself to the local church and to local in real life community so that um, as I am working and leading and teaching, I know that it is an outflow of the ministry that I'm already doing in my real life. So it's not like this thing that happens online doesn't have connection and relationship to the ministry that I'm called to in my local church. So I think one thing women must have a strong sense of is if God opens up spaces online or in the digital age that doesn't relieve us of our relationships in the local church. It doesn't relieve us of serving there. It doesn't relieve us of accountability there. Now, not all churches um, are going to partner with you, particularly in that ministry. Um, I know a lot of churches would hear that a woman maybe has a blog or a teaching ministry, and they might just say, oh, that's great for you, so happy for you, but not necessarily see it as an outgrowth of their ministry. Um, So I think we also have to recognize that there's any partnership goes both ways. So I think it's important for a woman in her own sense of self and her own sense of calling and identity to be able to have a holistic sense of her ministry happening both Yes, through her writing, through her speaking, but also through lived, embodied community with her local church. So be a member of a local church. Um, Develop the relationships in your local community. Put yourself under the authority of your pastors and the congregation um, insofar as they um, are willing to partner with you. And to me, those kind of very real, tangible relationships are very grounding and they help you remember that all the clicks and likes and shares um, are pretty ethereal compared to the relationships that you have every day. Yeah, that's good. And I, I think um, just even as you're talking through that, in in some ways that applies to to us all, you know, regardless male female, when it comes to what we're putting out on in the digital space and in having that grounded, but because of almost the structure of how church has been influenced uh, to such a degree where women do not have the opportunity as much as men do in, in many denominations and many um, kind of streams that there is this even greater need almost to make sure that you are um, being grounded in the real world and not just off 
doing ministry in in kind of the digital space without having that life on life grounding. Is is that um, kind of the sense there? Right. That's such a good way to put it. It's not that this is unique to women. Um, men have to have this same type of commitment to local in real life community. What makes it challenging is that when a woman is called to ministry and she looks around at her local infrastructure of her church, she may or may not have spaces that she can move into. And if she doesn't, then online ministry, writing, speaking, podcasting may be one of the few ways that she can exercise those gifts. And so it really is a question of context more than it is of gender. Yeah, yeah, that that makes perfect sense, Hannah. Now, Hannah, talk with me a, a little bit about Kind of the idea of because we we've discussed or, or just kind of touched on this idea that um, sometimes uh, the teaching the writing is is influenced by the market. What exactly do you mean by that, and what are we seeing, and what are some of the the ways that that should maybe be kind of in in your mind approached and thought through more more closely? Right. Well, one of the the difficulties of having the market influence and shape women's ministry is that there's a limit on what the consumer will accept from you. If my book sales are dependent on convincing people to read it and to give me their hard-earned money for my writing, that's naturally going to present some temptation to just give them what they want, not what they need. And so one of the inherent challenges of ministry done in the marketplace is that discipleship is about confronting and challenging us. It's about um, putting the mirror of God's word in front of our face and saying, yeah, maybe this area of your life needs to change, or maybe you need to consider thinking about this issue in a different way. And that's really hard to do when the ministry is dependent on garnering the enthusiasm and the support of a community around you. And and it's not that pastors and institutional churches or in pulpits don't have a similar tension of, you know, needing to keep the congregation happy or needing to keep the board happy. I mean, that happens anywhere. But there's a little more um, security. There's a little more job security in the sense that um, he can get up with his Bible and preach, thus saith the Lord, and point to it and and really give us some hard things that we need to hear. Um, and we'll take it because that's what he's supposed to do, right? That's kind of, there's this assumption that you go to church and you're confronted and, and you deal with yourself. At least that's the tradition I, I, I'm from. Like right. people will actually tell my husband, we want some fire and brimstone sermons. <laughs> We're in a little country Baptist church in um, Southwest Virginia. And they do, they, they expect him to deliver the word of God to them in ways that confront them. When you move to the marketplace, so much of marketplace dynamics is based on the customer is always right. How do you convince the customer to buy your product? How do you sell it in a way that that makes them feel happy and fulfills their needs? And so what that ends up doing is it centers the consumer's desires um, in the process of ministry and discipleship. And it takes a lot of work for the woman or the person who's operating in ministry in the marketplace not to get swept along by that. Um, It's just so easy to give people what they want, whether it's in your writing or it's in your social media. 
I mean, we live in an age where people really want to know you as an individual. They want to have your life and to know your, um, to be your friend, you know, even though you can't have like 20,000 friends, everybody wants to be the friend of the minister. So it can be very tempting to go ahead and do whatever will garner that kind of approval or affirmation and ultimately what turns over into sales and, um, you know, the, the, the affirmation of the community. Um, and so that's something that I think we have to be really aware of as we're operating in the marketplace. And like my work happens there. Um, I write books and I sell them. I get on Twitter and I get on Instagram. And all this time, I know that this is where, in God's providence, for whatever reason, this is where I'm called to minister. But I also have to be aware of the landmines um, in that space and be conscious that I don't become just a source of affirmation or giving people what they feel they need or they want. That's fantastic. And I, I love that. And, and you just, you just touched on this idea of awareness and, and that, that comes to um, one of the, the topics that you tackled most recently, actually uh, this idea of discernment and, and you've actually written a phenomenal book on that. All that's good recovering the lost art of discernment. And so when we're talking about this idea of um, cause I think that's just perfectly you know, ties into the fact that, you know, if we're trying to, we, we need to make sure that we're aware that there are other influences on, uh, you know, maybe the message that we're, we're, we're sharing and uh, what we're writing or what we're teaching, what we're speaking. And, and so we need to be very discerning in that because Hannah, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but, but I don't hear you saying that, Hey, having a digital platform is, you know, bad necessarily, or having, you know, finding space to connect with people even early on their spiritual journey. Um, I mean, th that's vital, that's important. Um, but it seems like this idea of having uh, an awareness, being able to discern how is it that God is, is leading you in ministry? Where's the spirit guiding you? And, and having the discernment that there are other things that are trying to shape that as well. I mean, that's, that's just the reality of it. But if we're not kind of grounded, then we're not going to maybe see with as much clarity or be able to discern um, as well what is the direction that God might be leading or what is mm. the kind of the pressure, the external pressures they're trying to shape um, right. what we're communicating, right? So talk to right. us a little about this idea of rediscovering discernment. What, what does that look like for us? Well, first, you're exactly right that I am no way saying that online platforms are bad or that a woman um, shouldn't be ministering there or men shouldn't be ministering there. I'm saying they present unique challenges. Right. And they may be the space that God has called us to. And some of the women that I respect the most are women who have stepped up and they've looked around and they've said, basically, you know, God asked Moses the question when he's standing at the burning bush. He said, well, what is in your hand? You know, Moses is asking, how am I supposed to fulfill this call you've given me? And God says to him, what is in your hand? And and it's his staff. And I think a lot of women know that they're called to ministry and they look around and they say, what is in my hand? And what's in their hand is their laptop or their phone or their capacity to connect with other women over social media. So I have a great deal of respect for women who have stepped up and done that. Um, but it does come with very distinct challenges. 
And that is one of the reasons I felt called to write this book. Um, probably a couple years ago, I found, I found myself in this just increasing sense of chaos and swirl of being on social media, being, um, you know, on Facebook and Twitter and getting news coming at me from every direction and not knowing how to sort through it. And I think as much as the digital age, you know, presents unique challenges to us doing ministry, it also presents unique challenges to people who we're ministering to, to the Mm -hmm. to people who are getting online and they're looking at just this flood of information coming at them. And it's not that we are uniquely gullible or we're uniquely naive. It's that we have access to more ideas, more content, more leaders, more voices, more information than anyone in history has ever had access to. And that means we're going to have to have wisdom to know what to listen to, which direction to go, what to take in, what to leave behind, how to discern what is really influencing us when we post, how to um, just clarify our own motives and to be led by the Holy Spirit and not just to be swept along with this torrent of information. Yeah, yeah, that's good. As as you're uh, talking about this idea of that all this stuff is coming at us, so we have to um, somehow think about what are we letting in. It made me think, and, and you actually touched on this in your book, of one of the issues with that, whenever we're looking at, okay, there's a lot of information coming in, so we have to discern or we have to decide, we have to choose what we're going to allow to let in, um, which is very, very important. But I think one of the, the issues that we run into is that we create these filters, and sometimes those filters, we tailor it so much to... I think sometimes what we like to hear, maybe to some degree, mm. if we're honest with ourselves. So we kind of bubble ourselves in. We create these filter bubbles. And so we're only listening to and we're only having conversations with those things which resonate the most with us. And therefore, we're not listening to the, the full conversation. And, and, and it, that can lead to some divisiveness and kind of pitting different, um, you know, different groups of people really against one another. You know, we've got our tribe, then there's this other tribe over here, and we're only spending time in our own tribe. And then we begin to think that what our tribe is saying is absolutely the right thing, and that what every other tribe is saying is absolutely the wrong thing. So how do we balance this idea of of discernment when there's so much out there, but not get caught up in filtering so many things out to the point where we were um, just you know, thinking that our tribe has all the truth. Right. And I think the tribalism you described, we can absolutely see it politically. You know, that's right. the most right, obvious right. space. But I, I see it in the church a lot, too. Yes. So there's theological tribalism or denominational tribalism where um, we will kind of hunker down with those people who are like us and stay in that space and believe them when they tell us stuff and we don't maybe don't question it, but we automatically question anyone who's outside of our tribe. And just to play devil's advocate, I think this is a really natural human response to being overwhelmed. Mm. We are overwhelmed by information and we are overwhelmed by the number of voices coming at us in a given day. And so in response to that, it's kind of a shortcut to say, well, 
I don't know who to trust or who to listen to. So I'm only going to trust and only listen to the people within my group. And as long as I can identify you as saying the right words or using the right framing or being connected with the right institutions, then I'll trust you. Um, and the, the danger of that and why that cannot count as discernment is that every one of our tribes is going to have blind spots. Right. And every one of our leaders is going to say things she or he shouldn't at different times, yours truly included in that. <laughs> and so what discernment teaches us is not to go by labels, um, but to go by the goodness and character of God. So what we're looking for when we're when we're practicing discernment is we're developing the skill to know what is good and what is not good, to judge between those two things and then to take into our life things that are good. And this is all based on God's nature and the scripture as the definition of goodness. It's not necessarily based on labels or tribal loyalties or things that we have been taught to trust. And because here's what could happen if we only go by tribal loyalties. Like I mentioned, we could potentially overlook things that are bad within our own tribe because we've become so loyal to a brand that we can't rightly judge whether something our group is doing is legitimate or not. Mm. But it's also going to blind us to goodness in other spaces because if it happens outside of our tribe and we don't have eyes to see it as good, we're not going to be able to benefit from the goodness that might be happening somewhere else. So what discernment does and what the scripture calls us to is to mature to the point where we have the mind of Christ, that we are seeing the world through his eyes. We are judging according to his judgments, that we are discerning what is truly good based on his nature and his character and as he is revealed through the word of God. And that's a very, very different thing from kind of secluding ourselves into our filter bubbles or just accepting certain outlets, news outlets, or um, certain voices within certain tribal spaces. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good, Hannah. Whenever we're considering this discernment, and, and really, as as you said, kind of, you know, the mind of Christ, and, and, and that's kind of the focus, share with us, like, practically speaking— because it sounds fantastic. I think you're 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 dead on. But practically speaking, the challenge that I see oftentimes is that we take from scripture or, or from what we you know depends how deeply we dig, but or what we think of scripture or what we've heard maybe, and we take that and we um, attach that to the um, ideology or you know the the side of the debate that we like most. You know, so we somehow take scripture and we make it fit the the perspective of maybe our tribe. And so, like you said, I think the, the challenge is it's very difficult to look for the goodness outside of our tribe, but to be biased to only see within our tribe that it is kind of good, even when it comes to aligning with scripture. So practically speaking, how do we kind of navigate that and, and help ourselves open up to the reality that we tend to read our tribe versus other tribes, you know, through a, a very biased lens, and we will use God to back up our bias, or we'll use Scripture in such a way that it backs up our bias, which makes us feel like, oh, okay, Hannah, well, I am, you know, you're trying to come at it from, you know, God's perspective. 
how, right. how, how, you know, how do we work through that? Because I see that, I mean, we see that all the time, I think, you know, on social media often, you know, two different groups that are seeking to honor God, right? And yet they mm. have very, very different perspectives, and each of them is using God to, you know, to prop up their right. view. Right. And I think you kind of hit on it there when you say each of them is using God. What we have to kind of understand from the forefront is that discernment is not a weapon that we use against each other. Mm. Um, It is not um, a weapon that we use to validate or justify ourselves. It is not being critical. You know, as a pastor, one of the last things you want to hear is a member come up to you and say, oh, I believe I have the gift of discernment. Because so often that means, and now I'm going to tell you where you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Amen. I bet we got a bunch of amens right now, people listening in, right? So when you look at discernment in the scripture, yes, it is about identifying where something is going off from goodness, but it's primarily about finding what is good and excellent. Um, Philippians 1, 9 and 10 talks about that we would become mature in love so that we could discern what is excellent. The goal is to see goodness. And I think one of the most fundamental practical things we can um, learn right at the front is asking ourselves, am I using my insight or my clarity as a means of winning an argument? Or am I operating and discerning and judging as a means of healing and helping and bringing unity and peace to the body. And that's a very different disposition yeah. right from the beginning. And I think if you get online, you'll very quickly see how a lot of things that are happening in the name of discernment are about division and um, dissension more than about healing the body of Christ. And, and that was one of the, um, the things I tried to deal with in the last chapter of the book is especially if a person has an extra gifting from the Holy Spirit. The, the scripture talks about discernment as a gift that we can, can be given to certain members of the body to be able to discern messages that are from God, that are good, and messages that are not from God. And the whole goal of the gifts that we bring whether it's to a local church or to the body of Christ universal, the whole point is for the healing and the edification of the body. And a lot of times that's not how we operate when we come to the conversation about discernment. Yeah, that's good. And I love how you frame that saying that the goal is to see goodness. And in in your book, All That's Good, you really take that Philippians 4 passage and really kind of champion that as, you know, this is what we're talking about, discernment. As you said, not something not something that's a divisive in nature, but but the discernment is, you know, that, that you know whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. That that is the um, that's kind of the foundation of discernment, right? Right. And what's fascinating in that passage is Paul is actually calling believers to a positive trajectory. He's he's calling them to this kind of optimistic framing of move out into the world and look for things that are good that reflect the character of God. And all those things in that list you just mentioned, you know, whatever is true, um, honorable, pure, just, lovely, and commendable, those are all things that are rooted in God's nature. So what we're developing is our ability not 
necessarily just to see what's negative and wrong with something, but to see what's good about it and where does it reflect the glory of God. And so if we don't learn to see goodness outside of our own tribe, we are not discerning people no matter how much bad we think we can see. Mm, that's excellent. Hannah, man, I, I just I just love this book. I love how you have brought discernment, which I think is a, a much needed conversation in, in just kind of our current world. I mean, we've we've talked about this just in our conversation here, you know, discerning in so many different ways when it comes to um, us as as ministers and how we minister, but then also how are we receiving things and how's that influencing or impacting the way that we're teaching, the way that we're ministering. And I think that this idea of discernment, um, and, and I think you kind of shared it more clearly when you're talking about this idea that oftentimes we, we feel as if we're discerning, but really what we are doing is we are we are being divisive, right? And rather than coming from that positivity that that Paul um, wrote about and that um, looking for that good. So, man, I absolutely so appreciate this conversation that we've been able to have and uh, your excellent book, Hannah, All That's Good, Rediscovering the Lost Art of Discernment. Um, but it's published by Moody Publishers. Excellent book. Encourage our listeners um, uh, to, to pick up a copy and dig in because this is one of those conversations that it doesn't matter where you are in ministry. It doesn't matter what life stage you're at. The reality is the world in which we live, discernment is really more important because it can get so kind of uh, wishy-washy and, and, and so influenced, I think, because as we talked about, there's so much information coming into us, right? There, there's so much out there, and um, and just that natural inclination, as you brought up, that we naturally kind of filter things. But sometimes that filtering, um, really, in that we're missing out on all that's good, right? Absolutely. Excellent, Hannah. If someone wants to connect with you or learn more about the book, what are some ways that that they can do that? Well, I do have a website at sometimes a light. Dot com, and I'm on Twitter at Sometimes a Light, and I'm on Instagram at Hannah Anderson and Facebook at Hannah Anderson. So if you find one, you'll likely find me in the rest of the places. Excellent. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's been such a joy to have you with us. And uh, and, and really, this, I think, is such a timely topic and one that, that we need to pause and reflect on and spend a little time with. Because again, we can just assume that we are being discerning. And, um, and oftentimes, that may not be really rooted in all that's good and in, in, in what we find in Scripture and what God is leading us to. So thank you so much for being with us. Certainly appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. 
You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.